Chapter One of Lift Luck on Southern Roads by Tickner Edwards. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Siren City. There are Englishmen in Venice, so the story runs, who have been going home every month for twenty years back and have never gone yet. It has been next month and always next month and so the months have lengthened into years and the years into decades and still held by the siren song of the sea these happy exiles linger and drowse and dream in the sunshine until to their friends there is palpably no other going home for them but that last long going from which there is no return something of this sort commonly happens here in our own land to men of the hardy north and east who have been lured southwestward to torquay the town lies in a pool of well-nigh unbroken sunshine wedged in between a barrier of great rocky hills and the sea foreign-looking villas are dotted about everywhere in the greenery of the encircling heights the fish keys with their rows of limes and sauntering crowds the fussy little harbour the straggling house fronts each painted a different hue are all undisguisedly continental the public gardens might have been imported intact from any town on the riviera palms and queer exotic shrubs shadow the winding ways at every turn among the people even among the well-to-do there is a love of bright raiment wholly italian in spirit but most foreign of all is the climate the soft sleepy indolent air of south devon that pervades the whole place you may bring to it the liveliest energy you may be the most earnest go-ahead soul that ever lamp-lighted through cheapside or the strand but once you have settled down in torquay and the place has got its slothful golden grip upon you it is good-bye to all your upstart aeroplaning moods in a little while you will have forgotten time and london almost as completely as the gently stirring multitudes around you to be in the sunshine and genially somnolently happy with your cigarette that will soon make up the sum of your convictions and your aspirations to wander round the quays and watch the great timber barks unloading look on at the emptying and filling of the little torbay steamers marvel at the luxuriousness of the anchored yachts and the tranquil obesity of the fishermen lean over the harbour wall by the hour in a brown study caught by the mesmeric scintillation of the water or lounge the morning away listening to the band in any one of a hundred sheltered sunny nooks that look out over the blue satin floor of the bay you will fall into the train of all these things naturally and unthinkingly and will 
at length be no more inclined to break from the spell of them than the anglo-venetian from the spell of his city in the sea so it proved in my own case i had come to torquay in the blazing summer-time designing to let a month or so waste itself commendably in the easy devonian way but the summer had waned and set autumn had begun to burn in the far woodlands october was well upon her way and still the fascination of the place held me i was no more ready to go at this the eleventh hour than i was on that fair june morning when i had come to it taking as it were a plunge fathoms deep into the lethean sunshine of its thronging ways self-admonition had been no good it had been useless to upbraid the jolly hours here in the midst of them the reproving mind is so easily diverted especially if it happened to be your own and you the object of its censure but gradually the conviction dawned upon me that if i must go as was indeed indisputable the only way of it was to go on the spur of the moment to launch out blindly determinedly on the next freshet of good resolution that should come rippling near my lazy feet it was in the grey of an early morning in late october that the thing finally came to pass in torquay where the dense leafage puts even far-famed vallambrosa to shame you can never sleep through sunrise the thrushes and robins besiege your window with battering rams of music until you rouse and listen waiting as you must if your desire is more slumber for the quiet that comes only with the full of the day but this time i saw the new writing on the wall with the first eye that contrived to open it flashed upon me that my time was up at last that to-day i was really going in a moment i was out of bed and dressing as for a wager not daring to consider plans too closely lest with them might come those temperate second thoughts that had hitherto always been my undoing and within the hour i was out and off through the level sunbeams of the morning camera and pack on shoulder heading briskly northward with the long shadows of the tree trunks making a griddle of violet across the living amber of the deserted way the north road out of torquay is the seaside road at that early hour there was no one abroad but a stray milkman or two a few yawning rubbershod policemen and here and there a dissipated cat wending homeward in blear-eyed disillusionment of life oblivious of sparrows and thinking only of the kitchen hearth and a full saucer to come thus far i had so triumphantly held to my first resolution against plan-making that i had absolutely no idea of what lay before me beyond the general scheme of winning out into the country 
and there after breakfasting at some village inn to get out my maps and squarely face the business over a quiet pipe but as i gradually left the houses behind and the sun got higher and higher out of a calm empty sea and there came to me the scent of apple orchards and of ripe blackberries on the breeze i got me a picture of the heart of the country what it would be like now in late autumn when nobody goes to it holiday-making what the pleasure and profit of a long rambling jaunt afoot through county after county going always by the by-paths forgetting the very existence of towns and trains and politics and trying for a real glimpse into the wild life of the countryside in autumn and incidentally into the life of the english peasantry taken out of season and therefore unawares the more i thought of the plan the more it grew upon me it built up in my mind swift as the building of aladdin's palace every second added a story i had the battlements on and a brave flag flying from the topmost tower before i had gone another twenty paces and then on a sudden thought i plucked the whole vast edifice up by the roots demolished its foundations and had it firm on fresh new bearings all in the space of a moment for the sound of wheels had come up behind me and turning round i saw prophetically in the first of them the whole rumbling procession of my three score lifts it was a wide old-fashioned market-cart and in it sat a ruddy old woman incredibly stout as she drew abreast of me at the foot of the hill her horse dropped to walking-pace and i gave her good morning where to she asked by way of combined question and greeting i had made furtive inspection of the name and address on the cart shaft to stoke in tainhead mrs burrell said i trying my best to look tired and hot she eyed me keenly but very pleasantly then began to rummage down some empty potato sacks into a rough kind of seat beside her will ye ride she asked in the broad devon tongue ye knows me better an i knows you but tis so we are great many o the new folks na not here up yonder top of the hill tis a sore bit o collar work thisn for the old arse the old horse and i therefore trudged on side by side up the long slope and at the crest of it i climbed on to the potato sacks from here there was a magnificent open view of the hilly coast the jagged red sandstone cliffs looping away in a wide semicircle until the rosy peaks and curves with their green topping sank into the misty ultramarine for miles ahead the road followed the dips and curves of the seaside hills a broad white ribbon here at hand but dwindling to the finest silver thread where it vanished into the far-off valley of tain 
the old cart jogged and jolted and swung sideways on its crazy springs the cart and the sacks on which i was perched were clogged through and through with the rich red devon soil and at every jerk a fine dust rose about us mrs burrell was pelded over with it from head to foot and i was soon no better she looked round at me from time to time in a motherly sympathetic way tis the worst o taties she observed from first to last from seeding to marketing us be allus smothered wi' it poor burrell when i went off i was as red as reynard there were no ridden none o it even then but tis rare healthy for the windbreak folks say she sighed looked solemn for a decent interval then lapsed again into her former cheerful mood upon which i hazarded an inquiry does stoke and tainhead lie over there i asked pointing along the cliff road for truth to tell i had never heard of the place before na sure tis right in land here us goes round this year bit o turnin as the cart veered slowly round into the lane i stood up and looked behind me there are certain phases of primitive human feeling from which no civilization can emancipate us and among these stands that curious instinct to sentimentalize when we are doing for the last time even the most ordinary everyday things it had suddenly occurred to me that this would be my last view of the sea for it might be many a long day to come so i stood up and looked backward expecting to find myself instantly the prey of all sorts of stereotyped yearnings and regrets yet not the ghost of a sigh could i conjure up i tried again and again but it was no good there lay the heaving glittering plain of waters that had been my boon companion for so many months past a little chip of white sail shone like a butterfly's wing far out on the azure and i told myself it might have been my own craft and i the happy voyager on any other but this fatal day of farewell i probed my imaginative vitals down to the midriff for recollections of long sweet timeless traffickings on this nirvana of the deep days when the mackerel were in the bay and the flickering silver was hauling up at every moment over the gunwale of the boat days when the little lithe sixteen-footer sped on tiptoe joyously through the seething lop of a brisk sou'wester breeze and those most delicious times of all waiting for a wind far out at sea when the sun burned in a cloudless sky and not a breath stirred over the glassy stillness of the water when the sail hung limp and useless overhead and below the varnish bubbled in the seams but it was no good my pegasus would not soar an inch i turned back saddened to my potato sacks 
and found mrs burrell's blue slit of an eye fixed anxiously upon me you are not hard up for a penny she inquired after a moment's awkward silence tain't much o a livin grindin they things and ye looks uncommon down jowled and hungry like if so be as the habit of treasuring antiquities in the shape of tweeds makes for personal comfort but it has its inconveniences on the road a good camera however will always save the situation i hastened to extract the opulent looking thing from its well-worn case and explained to mrs burrell its uses in another art than that to which she had dedicated it and we jogged on together talking of photography and potatoes until at length stoke and tainhead weathercock shone before us jaunty and golden over the tops of the trees i parted company from her at her own house a little short of the village and went the rest of the way on foot if i looked as hungry as i felt i must have been an affecting sight indeed the pure soft country air had made me ravenous and i marched straight down the village street with eyes for nothing but bears and bulls and spotted cows and such like hospitable beasts at last an inn sign came into view it swung from the gable end of a long low rambling house at a corner with a thatch above it green as a garden and latticed windows giving back the glow of the morning sun the door stood open and as i approached a broomhead kept popping in and out each time driving a billow of dust into the sunshine of the tidy street the young woman who was the cause of all this dispersal of atoms stopped in her work at sight of me she received my request in silence then turned me a very dubious troubled face breakfast well i dunno i'm sure there's naught in the house but and then as a happy afterthought but could ye make do anyhow wi' heggs and bacon could i i knew of no words to express my readiness silently gratefully i followed her into the cosiest little parlour i had ever seen the walls were of dark oak wainscoting there were cases of stuffed birds hanging between frames of sporting pictures varnished into brown indecipherable obscurity the chimney-glass was wreathed in cut paper of canary hue a shining copper warming-pan filled one corner and in another an old grandfather clock ticked its drowsy tranquil life away before the window lay the family bible covered with a bead-mat and surmounted by a vase of pallid wax flowers under a glass dome footed in red chenille outside on the window-sill pots of geraniums made a barricade of scarlet and just above on a nail in the sunny wall hung a wicker cage with a blackbird in it 
a contented optimistic bird that now dug his golden beak into a sprig of groundsel and now uplifted it in mellow tuneful song impossible to associate with dissatisfaction at his lot or any desire to be free and while i sat contemplating all these good things the lady of the besom went to and fro each time adding some rich touch to the picture a snowy damask cloth to the old mahogany table silverware and blue china a steaming coffee jug a homemade loaf a bar of honey cascading golden tears then at last the depreciated dish the piece of resistance set in the midst of it all and giving forth an incense that was in itself a whole silent grace before meat when an hour later i had taken the road again fed refreshed the course of my prospective lift journey decided upon the sun was already high above the hilltop and everything promised for a fair day the plan i had sketched out was briefly this i was in no sort of hurry i meant therefore to lay down no definite line of route but merely to turn my face roughly eastward and keep moving day after day until such a time as my luck and the rolling stock of the road should bring me through to my journey's end now here i was in mid-devon between devonshire and sussex lay four other counties to wit somerset dorset wiltshire and hampshire but dorset lay along the coast and an essential part of my scheme was to get as soon as possible deep into the heart of the country it was clear then that i must strike up north for the whole of the first day at least and face about to the rising sun only when i was sufficiently far from the sea thus strolling onward and turning the matter over in my mind i soon left the village in my rear and found myself in the pleasant orchard country the wind had died down to the merest breath a vague somnambulist wind faintly aimlessly doddering about in the blue light of day everywhere about me there was the glow of apples red and yellow and green and in the hedgerows blackberries hung in drooping clusters cooking in the heat i soon came upon a gate of inviting presence a gate venerable bright with lichens conveniently broad in the beam obviously this was the destined waiting place for my next lift so i sat down filled a pipe and looked about me how quiet the place seemed after the everlasting murmur of voices and the hallooing trams of torquay and yet the quiet was many degrees removed from silence literary townsmen all seemed to fall into this one mistake they praise the country for many virtues but for none more than its beautiful and 
as one of them has it its healing silence but the truth is that country quiet owes its beauty and its charm of quelling nervous unrest not to its silence but to its living dim unceasing sound if you ever achieve absolute silence it will not soothe but terrify you for you will find unbroken silence only in the midst of prevalent death nature abhors silence almost as much as she does the vacuum in the whole year's round perhaps there is no moment of the night or day utterly bereft of sound unless it be the starless windless gloom of midnight at the season of a great frost while there is moving air or water there can never be true silence but on these bitter iron-bound nights something very like the silence of death falls upon everything stand on such a night in the depths of a wood or in some wide open space far from any town or human settlement then though the keenest ear will hardly detect a sound see if there be any beautiful or healing influence around you yet for wild nature at least death as well as life has its own telling signal when the great frost has held for many weeks locking up the food supply of the birds and bringing them face to face with starvation it is nearly always on nights such as these that the last breach is made in the citadel on midnight walks in the woodland at such a time you will often hear a dull thud on the frozen ground and it means that one more feathered creature has given up the fight dying where it perched in the scanty shelter overhead that eerie sound of death familiar on so many solitary winter walks in times gone by was brought back to me with a strange intensity as i sat on the gate in the sunshine of the quiet october morning waiting for my next host a wheel far behind me in the dense applewood i heard something fall with a sound curiously like that made by the half-frozen body of a dead thrush in winter another such sound followed almost immediately and then another this time close at hand and a great ruddy apple came bowling over the grass almost to my feet these were not windfalls for the moment hardly a leaf stirred in the green roof of the wood it was but nature finishing the work she had begun in april blossom time and casting the dead ripe fruit to earth where more creatures could get at it to liberate its seed than was possible up there in the laden boughs looking down i saw that the apple full and round at all other parts was shrunken and deeply pitted on one side that was where the bee in her haste had passed by one of the five pistils in the apple flower leaving it unfructified 
and so the fruit had grown lopsided incomplete it would have been one of the finest and largest apples on the tree but for this unfortunate accident as it was it was fit for little else than the crushing mill in the tree above me i could see there were hundreds more just like it all alike had stood in the same fair way to perfection when the winged marauders from the hives had come chanting through the sun and air of the april morning but there were not bees enough for the work in no fruit-bearing district that i know of in the land are there enough bees kept good apples are almost as much a product of the hives as honey itself if only fruit growers could be brought to realize it where were the bees now i wondered sitting on the gate and watching the blue tobacco smoke drift idly away on the veering air farther up the lane i could see an old barn with its roof all but hidden under a dense canopy of ivy and at the thought i got down and strolled towards it as i drew near the murmur that had reached me by the gate grew to an uproar of insect voices the whole great mass of ivy was smothered in minute golden blossoms the nectar in each glistening in the vivid light here were bees thousands of them not indeed working with the frantic energy of summer but busy enough in a mature deliberate autumnal way and there were not only hive bees but almost every other winged atom in creation carousing at the ivy feast hoarse-voiced bumblebees butterflies bluebottles innumerable yellow-barred piratical-looking wasps and scrambling crane-flies literally by the thousand and amidst all these a jostling crowd of nameless creatures of all sizes and hues taking their fill of sweets eager to get all they could of this the last outdoor banquet of the year but i had only a moment or two to watch them the grinding of heavy wheels became suddenly the dominant note of the morning and round the bend in the lane came a wagon and team whose driver cracked his whip merrily as he approached the wagon was full of apples tons of them apparently of every colour and degree of ripeness and on the top of the heap sat the wagoner a lanky tow-headed youth with a plume of purple heather in his cap the wagon moved so slowly that the boy and i were able to exchange greetings and other wayfaring amenities well within the time the jingling team took to saunter by where are you going with all those apples i asked him he had the soft lazy south devon accent to perfection hardly opening his lips he let the words roll about in his mouth as though they were sugar-plums home said he pointing across country with his whip to thrushelton for the cider-making 
us grows a power of em and us buys a sight more these be from stoke yonder tis the third lord since sun up did you never see cider made what never well come along away a moment more and i had mounted by his side at this ready invitation and was off to thrushelton wherever that might be to see the cider mill at work whether my experience that day was typical of farmhouse cider making in devonshire or whether i had the misfortune only to come upon an aspect of it rare as it was bad i am bound to say that i left the cider farm profoundly disillusioned as to many things above all i could not help being struck by the squalid not to say disgusting surroundings in which the work was carried on thrushelton proved to be not very far half an hour's steady going over hill and dale through the interminable apple woods brought us into the midst of thatched roofs and we stopped at the gate of a farmyard the whole miry space was littered with straw knee-deep in which stood a herd of cows contentedly chewing pigs and poultry of all kinds wallowed and scratched in the filth dark puddles lay about everywhere from which the sun drew up a sickly stench our wagon went squelching through it all and pulled up at the side of a building which proved to be the cider factory here the apples were shovelled in through a big window of the loft where more shovelling brought them to a great funnel in the floor whence they descended into the crushing machinery in the lower story hard and hot work it was and needing many hands half a dozen men were engaged on it stripped to their shirts i watched them for a while and then my curiosity aroused by a deep rumbling and clanking that came from below i got down to explore the under regions of the place it was no easy matter to pick a clean way through the mud and sodden litter of the yard but i got round to the main door at last the building was partly underground and being lit only by a few small slits in the wall and these almost entirely obscured by cobwebs it was some time before i could discover what was doing at last i made out an old horse tramping wearily round a centre-post and some dun-coloured unsavoury-looking matter which i guessed to be the crushed apples dribbling through the funnel in the ceiling and slopping down into a big fat below there several men were packing the stuff into horsehair bags which in turn were stacked one over the other in the cider press and from this press flowed continuously a liquid dark sludgy and altogether of most uninviting appearance for some minutes i stood in my corner dazed by the gloom the noise the busy reverberation of voices and wondering if this were really typical of devonshire cider making 
years ago in the valley of the rhine i had watched the grape harvesting and followed the dripping fragrant wagons to the wine-press the horses garlanded in bright dahlias as though for a public holiday but i had never gone inside and seen the crushers at work perhaps if i had much the same disillusionment would have come to me as did on that day at the devonshire cider farm i quickly got tired of the turmoil and darkness and heavy sweet miasma of the place and retracing my way through the soggy yard was soon on the road again glad enough to be out once more in pure air and untrammelled light End of chapter 1